Here we go again. January, its own genesis. A new ledger we line with daily to-dos, intentionally determining the content of our tomorrows. But we are not alone in this. Before night and day were christened, God chose, planned, destined, purposed the scope and weight of our moments. He marked our calendars with trial and blessing. His holy heart, the image bleeding off the opening page, glory in the margins, redemption and grace, stitching the months and the years together. Our father left little to chance. And yet he risked it all by granting us the radical, costly gift of will. To choose what he has chosen for us. To seek and savor his counsel about the details of our days. To always wrap our lives in the lavish love he offers. Laced with new beginnings, designed to see us through the winters of the world. The word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form, It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light, and so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My third grade art teacher, uh, her comment written on my report card in longhand, in beautiful script, went something roughly like this. Jeffrey is such a joy to have in art class. But he lacks creativity. I've kind of lived with that badge of honor or shame all my life, I, I lack creativity. I'm a joy to be with, but I lack creativity. Creativity is hard. To take raw materials and refashion them into something else takes not just sort of the tactile skills of manipulating things, but also a vision for what can be. Western philosophy, neoplatonists, couldn't imagine a universe before God. 
So they created a doctrine that said God created the universe ex nihilo, out of nothing. That once there was nothing and then God made it appear. It's good thought. It, it makes logical sense. But it is a product of Western philosophy. Not necessarily a close reading of the Bible. Genesis, which is a product of the ancient Near East, seems to infer that stuff existed prior to the act of creation. And what existed was chaos. There was this incoherent babbling of the cosmos, uh, an immense and universal disordering and darkness, a, a total incompleteness, an inability to create a cosmic barrenness. And then we read in Genesis 1 that God acted. That God acted on these raw materials, this chaotic stuff, and began to reform it and reshape it and renew it and repurpose it. And God acted to dispel the power of chaos. God acted to order the universe with a logic not, not constructed by our minds, but only vaguely recognized by us. God acted in his creative genius launched order and beauty and truth. And so one way to read the creation account, one way to read God's work in Genesis 1 and 2 is that is that God is at work in a creative conflict against the forces of chaos. That the universe left to its own devices unwinds. It falls apart. The center doesn't hold. And that God's work in Genesis 1 was to stand against that and to create where there was once chaos. Verses 1 and 2 seem to indicate to us that creation is a challenge to chaos, that, that really those are the choices. It's not creation or nothing. It's God's creative genius versus chaos. That the universe has stuff in it and always has and always will. And the question is, do we welcome God's ordering of that stuff? Or do we welcome chaos in our midst? Verse 3 sees creation as a divine command in the face of chaos. God speaks and says, there will be light. And the lights turn on. That in the, that in the darkness of chaos in the disordering of a universe that can't put the molecular structures together necessary to illuminate, God speaks and light occurs. 
Verse 4 would tell us that creation is a moral center in distinction from chaos. God says, the light is good. Now that's, it would be easy to read that as God sort of leaning back and saying, hmm, light's pretty cool. Kind of like, you know, when Gary hits a tee shot. Yeah, not bad. But that's not the essence of this passage. The essence of this passage is God making a moral judgment about light, saying, this is a good thing for the universe to have sufficient order so that there's illumination and there are times of non-illumination. That there's lightness and darkness. That, that, the, that the universe is an ordered place. Not a disordered place. Not chaotic. And then in verse 5, the writer of Genesis says that creation is a plausibility structure. It is a, it is a way of understanding what goes on around us. There is day and there is night. There is an ordering to the universe. The Hubble Space Telescope, when it went up, began to send us images that made our jaws drop and continue to. And out there in M16 or whatever constellation it's in, you have this amazing picture of the pillars of creation, these gas clouds that spit out stars, whole solar systems that continue to be created. And we see it through the time machine of space. Farther we look into the heavens, the farther back we look in time. And we see this creative work occurring out of the chaos of plasma floating in space. God's creative genius at work to create. Not out of nothing, but to reform and reshape and repurpose the chaos that exists all around us. That's the hard work of creation. And in creating the God who invested in us his image, because later in Genesis 1 it says, let us make men and women in our own image. We who are stamped with the Imagio Dei are also called to be creative people. We, with all due respect to my second grade art teacher, we are all creative because we bear the fingerprints of God in our souls. And so you and I are called to creativity. We are invited to discipleship. Now we have such a narrow understanding of that word discipleship. We, we juxtapose that with creation and creativity and we kind of go, what? <clears throat> because we think discipleship is about knowing a bunch of facts and figures. It's about having all the data inputs 
about God in place and all lined up so that we can spit out the right answers. And I suppose there's a piece of that that's true. But discipleship is really about understanding and appreciating who God has made us to be. Welcoming that into our lives. And living as if that matters. Living as if the way God has framed us and shaped us and created us is important to standing against the chaos that's all around us. That's discipleship. That's what it means to follow Christ. And so in this text, there is this call to creativity, a call to discipleship. The, 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 the notion of discipleship is not a concept that gets introduced later in the New Testament. It's there on page one in the first paragraph of the first book of the Bible. When God says, let there be light, he's making a moral judgment, but he's also asking us to live in that light. He's calling us to agree with that and to live as if that matters. And so Genesis 1 tells us that God's creative genius is the long-term challenge to the chaos of the present moment. In other words, God is sticking around. Now you've had that feeling. I've had that feeling. Things are not going well in life. And you go, where, where on earth is God? Where is God in all of this? Am I left to be God-forsaken? I've been left to my own devices. Genesis 1 teaches us, no. That God's creative commitment to us is that he's always with us. That his very creative act is a guarantee, an assurance that he's sticking around. This is not a God who winds up the universe and walks away and disappears into the mists mists of chaos. This is a God who stays put, who stays with us. And whether we feel that or not is a different issue. The reality, the narrative, the story The invitation is that God is always with us. The creation, the beauty of creation is that God's a stayer. He's committed. Whatever it is that, whatever scene of natural beauty that turns your crank, the Grand Canyon, the Teton, the Pacific Ocean at sunset, whatever whatever that image of natural beauty, and you go, wow, God, thank you for your creation. That's really the sign on our souls that God's committed to sticking around, that he's here for the long haul. Chaos comes in the moment and seeks to rob us of that. But the very essence of creation is that God sticks around. Secondly, God's creative genius triumphs over the despair of violence and disorder. The thing about chaos, 
that it creates chaos. Chaos relies on violence to assert an attempt at order in the midst of chaos. Because we will always attempt to assert some kind of order. In the absence of any other kind of order, we will will strike out on our own and create our own order. And the promise of creation, the good news of God's creative act, is that it demonstrates that he is just. That he staves off chaos. That he fights the good fight. We are not called to pacifism as Anabaptists because it's good theology or because it's good liberal politics or because we're kind of lily-livered, mealy-mouthed, weaselly people. We're called to be nonviolent because God fights for us. And every time we decide to take matters into our own hands, we commit idolatry. We act as if we are God. God fights for us. That's the promise of creation. That in, that in the throes of chaos, it would destroy everything. That would annihilate all order and beauty and truth. God speaks. And we don't have to. And because God speaks, he speaks the word of hope. He speaks the word of promise. He speaks the word of justice. He speaks the word of love. And he staves off chaos in that moment. And then thirdly, God's creative genius is ultimately missional. It invites us into relationships that repair that which is broken. The chaos of Genesis 1-1 is simply a foreshadowing of the chaos that comes in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain takes matters into his own hands and kills his brother out of jealousy and rage. It's a foreshadowing of Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve take the fruit that God has Ask them not to eat. And to simply say, the old man doesn't know what he's talking about. I can eat this and be okay. God, God's creative act is ultimately redemptive. God is seeking to repair the cosmos that has been broken. creative grace of God that touches our lives and says, I can fix it. It may not be easy. It may take some effort. It may even be painful. But I can fix it. You're not condemned to chaos. You're not condemned to brokenness. You're not condemned to ruin. Creative work of God in Genesis 1 is a promise 
that our lives can be made whole. That in whatever darkness, whatever dark place we inhabit, God can step in and say, here's the light switch. Let there be light. And so we are not condemned to darkness. We are not condemned to chaos. We always live in the promise of redemption and renewal and recreation. That's what Genesis 1 is talking about. In its great and grand poetic style, the creation account is not a scientific narrative, but a theological promise about the very grace of God at work in our lives on a day-in and day-out basis. It's not a story of what was back then. It's a story about what goes on right here, right now, in our lives, in our midst, together. It is the promise that God stays just and that he is redeemed. And so this morning, some questions for reflection. Because the conflict against chaos is never over, the forces of entropy, of disorder, they constantly seek to steal the center of our lives. Creation is an ongoing account, not a one-time, one-size-fits-all happening. The universe is continuing to create. New stars are being birthed all the time. New lives are coming into the world all the time. And disorder and chaos would seek to engulf us. Conflict against chaos is never over. And so for us this morning, some questions. How does chaos come after you? What are your vulnerable points? Where does chaos sneak up on you and seek to destroy your sense of order, your sense of wholeness, your sense of redemption? And how do you deal with the chaos and the chaotic in life? As Westerners, we try to outrun it. We try to outschedule it. We try to outtask it. And I don't know about you, but I fail at that pretty much every day. The challenge for us is to trust the creative power of God. Not our ability to schedule the chaos out of our lives. So where is the creative power of God at work in and through you? I mean, do we even believe that? Do we even believe that it's God's creativity that flows through us into the world? That when we do that which we do, when we stand in front of a classroom, when we create a piece of art, when we work with a patient, when we talk to a client, when we work on a computer, when we fix a pipeline, is that God's creativity? flowing through us into that moment. Where is the creative power of God working in and through you? 
And how does the creative act of God in and through you restore that which is broken and recenter that which has been dethroned? How is God at work healing the world because you're in it? That's the ultimate missional promise of creation. That God has put each and every one of us into this world to help heal that which is broken. That's the task he's given us. Be a co-creator. That's discipleship. Take that which is broken and fix it. What is that for you? Now you may be sitting here this morning thinking, I'm so busted up I can't get my head around that. Well, that's a good first step to realize that it's not going to be our power that fixes anything. It's the the God who stepped into chaos and said, let there be light. Who began to order the universe. That point. Who steps into our chaos, our brokenness, our grief, and says, let there be light. How does that creative act help you restore that which is broken? and recenter that which has been dethroned. The creation story of Genesis is a story of creativity and truth connecting. We say in, in idiomatic English that, yeah, he got kind of creative with the truth. And that's not a good thing. That's not generally a compliment to be awarded creativity with the truth. But yet real creativity is about telling the truth in an almost singular kind of fashion. Creativity is about incarnating truth. When we fix a thing, when a life is repurposed and changed because we've interacted, when we have made music, and when we have ridden our bikes, we tell a kind of truth in and through those acts that can make the world more whole and less chaotic. And so it was one of my favorite theologians, who really was a theologian, uh, C.S. Lewis, who writes this. Even in literature and art, no man who bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth, without caring two pence how often it has been told before, you will, nine times out of ten, become original without ever having noticed it. To tell the truth with our lives, that God has taken the chaos that we experience, and he has ordered light where there was once chaos. That he has spoken into our hearts and recreated us to be able to tell that truth with our lives. 
That's not a bad way to live. May we be people who search for that truth, who search for that beauty, who are not content with the verdict of their second grade art teacher. We are all creative because the creative genius of the universe has made his mark on our soul. Pray with me. Lord, we seek in each day to begin again and afresh following you. So speak into the chaos of our hearts and let us know your love. Through Christ we pray. Amen.